Well, welcome, everybody. Good morning. I hope you're having a great day so far. Uh, you guys look awesome. It's summertime. It's hot. People are on vacation, but you're here. So that means you're better than they are. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Not really. They're, they're, by definition, they're better than you because they're on vacation and you're here. I'm kidding. kidding. We're so glad you're here. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors with, uh, here at LifePoint. If you're a guest with us today, thank you so, so very much for being with us. Man, there's so many places and things you could be doing, and the fact that you've chosen to be with us means a whole, whole lot. This is service number two of three. We're going to do some baptisms after this service, and if that's you, man, jump in with us. We would love, literally, jump in. Like we had a guy do that one time. He just jumped in. We're like, hey, you're still dressed. There's your phone. Get it out. And, but it was like, okay, well, everything's going down, you know? Anyways, but uh, we love, we'd love to do that with you and celebrate that with you. It's one of the great steps that you can take. Um, in your faith journey. And uh, yeah, we, uh, we're fired up to do that today right after this um, service. <clears throat> we are, by the way, we had first Wednesday here um, this past Wednesday. Um, it's something we, and even though it was the second Wednesday, the first Wednesday was July 4th, so we moved to the second Wednesday. It was very confusing. But nevertheless, um, man, it was one of the most, I don't know, one of the most powerful services we've had here maybe ever. Um, and like, like I know it's already passed and you can't do anything about it that you didn't come, but next month, I'm telling you, first Wednesdays are different than Sundays. Sundays are awesome. They do their, they, they serve their purpose, but first Wednesday is just a different deal. And if you were here, I think you would probably agree. It was just really a strong, strong day. And so we had a good time. Next first Wednesday, we have this company called Steel City Pops. If you've ever been to Steel City Pops, they're coming here to hand out free, awesome popsicles. So you might want to show up to that and uh, it'll be fun. <clears throat> Every summer around this time in July, we do this thing we call One Hit Wonder. It's a series, but it's not a series in that normally our series are four to five, six weeks of us talking about a topic or a chapter of the Bible or a whole book of the Bible. And this one's different than that in that we're not, there's not a common thread. It's just whenever guys come up or, uh, to speak, they're telling you what God's talking to them about, what they're struggling with, what they're wrestling with. That's what I did, what I did last week when I talked about rhythm. I gave you one word last week, rhythm. And out of that... Um, I think it was a timely word for a lot of you. I had, I had a lot of feedback. And if you missed last week, please, please go download that podcast um, because it really connects to this, this service today. Um, it's not, not the same theme, but it's along the same lines. And last week was about um, two words from the Bible, abound, where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that he wants us to always abound in the work that God gives us to do. The work of the Lord is what he calls it, but the work that God gives us to do and that means thriving, we're motivated, we're high energy for the work that God's put in our lives, whether that's your job or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and then we talked about the fact that Jesus gave us this word abide in John 15. Um, and he gives us that word five, uh, 10 times in, in, in the chapter 15 alone. And that's the idea that there is a, a deep connectedness with Jesus, that there is, uh, there's a walking in the spirit. And, and it's not just work, 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 but there's this rest and there's connection with friends and family and stuff that we love to do. There's a Sabbath that's part of our lives. And, and so, man, if you missed that, I think it will be very, very helpful. We'll give you some practical things at the end. And today I'm going to give you one word as well um, today. And the word is enough, just one word. But it's going to take me a lot more than one word to say it. So don't be like, oh, we're just going to be, we're, he said enough and we're out of here now. Just give me a few minutes here. Um, the first crowd thought that was funnier. But anyways, um, <laughs> I want to give you one word and it's, it's enough. And it really ties into what we talked about last week. How many of you know somebody who is very, very tight with their money? Raise your hands if you know somebody who's deeply tight. Raise your hand if it's you. Come on, three of you only raise your hand. Some of you are very tight. Like, 
Like it's so, like when you pull out your wallet, it goes, it goes like an old rusty door, right? I know this guy that if you go through a toll booth with him um, or like you have to go pay for parking, at, after he's shelled out the five bucks or whatever, he's gonna be like, we're gonna divide that up three ways here in just a minute. Like that's how tight that guy is. Like somebody's so tight that they take their kids out for their birthday and they make the kids pay for the meal. Anybody know what I'm saying right now? Some of you know that guy. You are that guy. Raise your hand if you're sitting next to them right now. No, don't do that. That'd be, be bad, right? You know what I've discovered about life? Um, I've, I've discovered a lot of things, um, but one of the things that I've discovered is there's, there's really two ways that you can do life um, as it relates to this, this idea of enough. There's, there's one way where, and I'll just do it like as a physical demonstration, where you live your life kind of like this, where you're just sort of clutching, hanging on for dear life to to whatever comes your way, money, time, energy, talents, your skills, your abilities. It's all for you. It's, it's about me. And you're clutching your life. And whether that comes about because of fear or, or greed or uh, an ultra-cautious nature, whatever the underlying trait is, is that your life is represented best in terms of your stuff by this. And th- then there's the other way of doing life, which is kind of this open hand, which is you saying, God, Whatever you send my way, whatever comes my way in terms of my talents and my time and my energy and my treasure, I'm going to hold on to it loosely. I'm going to share. I'm going to be willing to help when people are, need help. I'm going to be willing to step into the gaps when, when crises, crises come. I'm, I'm willing to, to trust that with you, my stuff and all that I am is safe in your hand and I'll, and I'll share eagerly and willingly and, and I'll be... So, so you can live like this or you can live like this. And really, really, the idea behind an open hand is the word enough. The word enough that there is, and this is a, a countercultural word in our society because our favorite word is more. If there's never enough. We always want more. That's what our culture teaches us, and that's what we spend our lives really, uh, in large part, uh, pursuing. And so, I, I want to talk about that today because I think that most people would say that when it comes to your time or your talents and your treasure, that I'm, I'd like to think of myself as a generous person. I think that most people would say that that's true of them, but, but the data, the evidence is, is, says otherwise about Americans in general, that we are not a deeply generous nation as a, a, at all. That There's a relatively new study that came out in 2016. It's just groundbreaking research on um, American Generosity, actually the book, uh, which was done by two different uh, researchers at the University of Notre Dame, paid for by another organization, $5 million study, multi-year deal. And, and the book is called um, American Generosity, Who Gives What and Why? And so it's data-driven. They're not Christians. It's not spiritual. It's just purely data-driven. It's both scientific and it's trying to appeal to the regular person, it probably fails at both of those, but nevertheless, it is—it's out there and it's good. It's—it's it's groundbreaking. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's got a lot of good information. Now, what they say is that 84% of Americans give away of their income, give away zero to one percent of their income, zero percent to one percent. So 84% of Americans um, give away almost nothing, uh, either nothing or almost nothing, and. They go on and say that only 3, 3% of Americans give away at the level of what the Bible would call a tithe. 
Um, right. And if you don't, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that God established this practice back in the old Testament with the nation of Israel called tithing. And it just meant to give 10% of whatever God brings into your life as an expression of trust. God, I'm going to trust that you're going to give me my daily bread as Jesus prayed. Or like when the, when the children of Israel were out uh, in the wilderness, wandering between Egypt and the promised land, he would send them manna every day. And he, I'm going to trust that you're going to do that. And, and, then, and as an expression of my trust in you, I'm going to return uh, 10% of what you, what you give back to me. And they would call, and they would do this almost immediately once the, 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 the and they were a very agrarian society. So uh, in this agrarian society, they were, they were dealing with crops and, 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 and vegetables and, you know, sheep and whatever else, not so much um, money. So um, God, you're going to give me, uh, I'm, I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of me. And as an expression, I'm going to, to give back. Now, 97%, this, this study says, of people who live in the land do not do this. They don't, they don't participate in this at all. Um, and, and so this isn't really a message about tithing. Um, some of you are uncomfortable. People are, get uncomfortable when you talk about tithing, even though it's a very deeply scriptural thing. I'm not uncomfortable talking about it, but this isn't really a message about tithing. This is a message about how we think about stuff um, and, and, and really kind of processing um, how we think about the things that we have and the things that God have, have given us. And so my hope is, though, that some of you will leave this place today going, you know what, I'm going to trust God with what he's given me. Uh, however you express that, I'm going to trust God with what he's given me. Now, I think there's a reason why this research comes about, why, why, why the evidence that's found here uh, is true. We, I don't think anybody sets out in life going, I'm going to be stingy and I'm going to not be generous. I don't think anybody does that. I think that by nature, most of us, not all of us, some people come out of the womb and they, they're clutching, right? And it's like mine. The first kid, the first words our kids learn is often what? Mine, right? And it's not mine, mine. It's always mine. And it's like an aggression going on. You guys have seen this, right? Um, so, so I don't think we set out to do this, but I think what happens is as we progress through our early 20s and 30s um, and we get into our career, we start to make a little bit of money. Some of you are like, I'm still waiting. I'm 40, right? But whatever. Um, we start to make a little bit of money. What happens is the, the, the amount that we dreamed about making when we were younger, we actually get to that level a lot of times. We get to that level and it's like, wow, I can't believe it. But over time, um, we start to look around and see other people's stuff and what they have and we start to want what they have. And so we realize in order to have what they have, I'm going to need to make this amount of money. So we're here. And, and, and most of us here, 10 years ago, if you had told us, hey, 10 years from now, you and your family are going to live in this house. You're going to be able to drive these cars. You're going to have this much money. We would have been like, no way. Am I right? Some of you, 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 you're like, right. But what happens is over time, like that level becomes like, that's not enough. And so I want this much because this much will let me have this kind of house drive these kind of cars, go on that kind of a vacation. And so in between that is a gap, and I would call that gap, and I want you to remember this, the discontentment zone. This is the, this is the place where discontentment is able to grow in our lives, uh, in, that, in that gap between what I have and what I think I deserve or what I want. And here's the bad thing about, about that, that target, is it's a moving target. Because what happens is in the next 10 years, most likely, you will get to that new level. You will find a way, working really hard, working extra hours, taking a second job. You'll figure out how to get there. But guess what happens when you get there? It moved, right? It, it, the target moved. And now you have that and you're like, wow, 
finally, we're making this much money. We have this stuff. And then you realize, I'm still discontented. And so you think naturally, oh, it's that next layer. And then there's just always a series. And we'll spend our whole lives trying to close the gap. But the gap is always increasing because the target is always moving. Right? Is that true or not? Yes? It's true. Um, The target's moved. So it turns out that what I thought was enough isn't enough. Becomes this very elusive thing. And now I have a new discontentment zone. And so then we'll get really crazy with this. We'll think that there are certain moments that we can experience with our families that if I spend enough money, will elicit this certain amount of joy and happiness from them. Like taking the kids to Disney World and then they cry like the first 14 hours of their time there. Come on, have you ever, did, anybody, it's, it's so hot. Where's, where's, where, I don't even remember their, Cinderella. I was going to say Clarissa, but that's somebody that just did our announcements. But it's Carissa, not Clarissa. Sorry if you're here. I was going for Clarissa. I don't know why, but Cinderella. It's close. They're both C's. Um, and, and you're like, I don't know where Cinderella is, you know, or whatever. It, like, like some of you, you've done this. You've bought your spouse or your kids like an amazing present. You thought about it hard. You saved up money. And so you naturally expect that the amount that you paid for it should be equal to the amount of joy that it creates. Can I, am I right on this? Right. And so you're thinking when they open this gift, <laughs> like you're shaking, like you can't believe what's going to happen now, that when they open this gift, man, they're going to go nuts, man. And they're going to borderline worship me for my, my acumen at getting the right present at the right time. And a lot of times they open it up and you're, and you're like, huh, that's it. Like I'm going to need $900 worth of joy right now. Come on. It ain't just me up in here, right? Right? We, like we think we can... We can put a price tag on happiness. Like the more money I make, the more happy I can buy. But we all know, we all know that's not true, right? We, we understand this, that that's, that's not true. And it's interesting. It's, it's a proven fact that, and this is not me talking, this is data driven, that, that selfish people are by and large the most miserable people of, of any culture, and that generous people are the most joyful people. That people who kind of live loosely, like it's not all about me and mine, they're just, te- they tend to be more joyful. And yet, even though we know this to be true, we hang on to our stuff for dear life. And, 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 and so my, my, my idea today is what if we, just as a group of people, we declared enough, right? This, th- this is enough, Like, I don't have to keep climbing the corporate ladder and I don't have to keep selling out my family and I don't have to keep, you know, driving my marriage into a hole because I think I have, like, like, and and we'll often even say this, I'm doing this for my family. But your family's like, I don't, we don't want more stuff. We just want you, right? right? This is true. We, we, We know this, but we, what if we just said enough? I don't need a bigger house. I don't need a bigger car. I don't need a better anything. Like someday you'll have to get a new car because they die every now and then. But right, get, just get a, like a donkey or whatever. I don't know. But like, but, but we live, this is where it gets counterculture because we live in, in a part of the world where, where they're going to tell you that if you declare, this, I don't need any more than this. Um, if you're not getting more and bigger and better that you're missing out on the American dream and you're ignoring the American way. Um, but yet we, we all know that, that stuff it doesn't really do it for us anyway, right? So I, I want to examine all of that in our own lives, really, through the lens of Scripture, of a story from the Scriptures. And, and, and what I'm trying to get out today is not about so much about the guy in the Scripture, but about 
the sort of discovery that he makes, and hopefully that you and I can to make some discoveries of our own. It's found in Luke's gospel. It, this story is only found in Luke's gospel. Luke 19, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. If not, you can look it on the screen, look it on your phone. We have it in your LifePoint notes as well. This is a story about Jesus' interaction with one man. And so, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, meaning he was on his way somewhere else, but he turns out he had some business here. Verse 2, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So right off the bat, we know some stuff about this guy. This is a guy who knows money, who gets money, who has money, and who's willing to sell out his own sort of soul, his own reputation to have money. We know this because Israel, the nation, this guy's a Jewish guy, um, he, they were under the occupation of the Roman Empire. And, and so the Roman Empire had learned that when they take over a country, rather than just decimate the population or exile them and kick them off their land, best to leave them there doing what they were always doing uh, and then tax them to death, right? Because, like, the Romans didn't want to live in Palestine. Like, this was a bad... Like, we, we admire Jerusalem. We admire Israel now. But in that time, it was like, it was like Lubbock. You know what I'm saying? Is that bad? I mean, or... I don't know where you're from. I hope it wasn't Lubbock. Um, it's like Amarillo or, you know, like I don't, Del Rio. I'm kidding. Just kidding. I know there's some of you from Del Rio, so I just take a fun shot at you. Anyway, it's like the valley. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We just see how dig of a hole. I'm going to just keep moving now. All right. They didn't want to be, so, but they, what they wanted was they wanted, to, they wanted to fill the Roman coffers. So they would just leave them there and they would, they would hire guys, local guys, to collect this tax. And some of them would rise up through the rank to the level of chief tax collector. And these tax collectors were despised, were hated by the local population of Jews because they were sellouts, they were traitors, and they would, they would undermine these people every turn. So what would happen is like a rich guy might come to a guy like Zacchaeus and go, hey man, you know I got stuff, bro. I got a lot of money. I got a lot of camels. I got a lot of donkeys. I got sheep, whatever. Bro, can, it, can we just keep what I have in between me and you and not tell the Romans? And and, and so a guy like Zacchaeus would have been like, well, dude, what's in it for me? Well, and so, you know, he'd pay him off on the side. And a lot of times the guy would take the bribe, but then he would sell him out to the Romans anyways. And so people hated the tax collectors for this reason. So this is Zacchaeus' game, and he's given up on relationships and community because people hate him, and, but he's got a lot of money, and he's really good at his job. But you can tell from the tone of the story that there's something missing from his life, and and to the extent that he's willing to do a little bit of crazy to sort of feel, feel, feel this out. And so Jesus, this rabbi, this spiritual teacher is coming by and Zacchaeus ironically is interested in what this guy has to say. Jesus is just an itinerant teacher. He's not the Jesus we know. At this point, he's just getting started. He's just getting going. And, and, and so he runs to where Jesus is going to be to see him. And so here's what verse three says. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So imagine Danny DeVito, right? Just trying to see. I think that will help you understand this, this story. So he ran ahead and he climbs a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming away. So he gets ahead of the crowd. He knows Jesus is going to pass his way, climbs the tree because he's Danny DeVito. He's in the tree and he knows he's coming by, right? Now, You'll notice that in this story, there's a lot of interesting details. And most scholars would say, because Luke, he's the only one that had this story, went and actually interviewed Zacchaeus 
um, to get this story as it really was. And that's why you see all, it's not just a tree, it's a sycamore fig tree and, and, and how he ran and all this stuff. And so when I was a kid growing up in church, we, we sang a song about Zacchaeus. Anybody, did anybody sing this song besides me? Right? You guys remember this? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. he Some of you are new to faith and you're like, what? <laughs> like, this was basically a song where Christian children made fun of a kid, with, a guy with a disability, right? <laughs> hey, but Jesus loves you, right? <laughs> Funny. It's really kind of what the song was about. You're going to make fun of a guy that's short. Uh, anyways. Now, I know this um, is true that, that a lot of folks who are short enjoy their being, they, they, like, I'm just a short person, it's cool. But a lot of people are not cool with it. Um, and they don't, they, didn't, they don't want to be a little guy, right? And, and, and some of you have raised kids and they're not as big as some other kids. And you, you know that, especially if I think especially if they're boys, they, they, they really feel a little bit of attention around that. And, and maybe this is part of the reason that Zacchaeus was so drawn to money. Because money can kind of give you status and money can kind of make you seem bigger than you are. And people will look at you and go, God, that guy's driving, you know, whatever. He must be a big, important guy. Right. And I think that this is part of what that was. The allure of money was for Zacchaeus, maybe, maybe. Um, but, but I'm also thinking that it, it's kind of wearing off for Zacchaeus like it always does. That, 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 that money doesn't always have the allure and, and stuff and possessions don't always have the allure that we think they're going to have. And so there's an amazing thing that happens here. He's in this tree and he's kind of trying to be hidden, you know, because people don't like him and th people might see him up in the tree and throw things at him. I don't know. But, but Jesus does what nobody expects. In verse five, it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up at him and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, people, when they heard this, they were like, seriously? Like of all these people around here, you pick Zacchaeus to go do lunch with? There's people that need you. There's people that actually admire you. There's people that, are, that have been following you from town to town. There's religious people here. There's any number of people that you could have chosen to go to. You're going to go with this, this corrupt bureaucrat? Now, some people would find this a negative thing, but, but this is who Jesus is. Wherever there is darkness, wherever there is pain, wherever there is shame, wherever there's brokenness, Jesus will bring grace. Jesus will bring light. And I, I find this good news because no matter what your situation is, whether it's a financial brokenness or a marital or a relational brokenness or, or something else, Jesus wants to come to your house and change your life. That's because that's who he is. This story it's a story about a lot of things, but it's most importantly a story about grace and how grace can come to any situation in any home and any life and change um, their, their lives. And so the strangest thing happens. Zacchaeus, who probably was thinking, dude, oh, go, go away. Don't, don't look at me up here. You would think that that's what he does. Instead, he goes, in verse six says that he just comes down at once and says, yeah, come on, let's go. He welcomes him gladly. Let's go to my house. Let's party. Now, verse 7 says that all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, it's a funny thing because if you read the Gospels, Jesus is always ticking some group off. Like there's always some group going, and they muttered at the sayings of Jesus. Like it's the Sadducees or it's the scribes or it's the Pharisees. They're always muttering. But, but in this case, it says, look, look at the note. It says, all of the people muttered. 
Like this is a, this is, this is a symbol about how much the tax collectors were hated. Like even people who were thankful for the grace of Jesus, love Jesus are like, can't look at Jesus. I can't believe he's going to take a tax collector. Every, it's the only time in all the new Testament where everybody was ticked off at Jesus. Right? So that, that's, that's how bad a deal Zacchaeus had gotten himself into. Now, we don't really know what was said over this meal. It was probably a, a group of people there. Usually when you'd have a guest of honor, they, they would invite other people. But, but whatever it was that was said during the course of that meal, that time that Jesus spent, it gets Zacchaeus thinking in a way that he's never thought before about whether I'm going to hold on or whether I'm going to be empty-handed before God. Now, let me help. Let me just sort of help to understand how this might have gone down. This is just my imagination. Zacchaeus, Jesus says, maybe your, your whole life long, you've been this money guy. You've been good at money. You, you get it. You, you, you love it. You have a lot of it. But let me ask you something, Zacchaeus. Is it giving you everything you hoped it would? Do you have peace around it? Is it giving you peace? Is it, is it buying you joy? Is it, is it making you happy? Or do you have a do you have a soul-level satisfaction with, with your money? Because do you remember back in the days, Zacchaeus, when you were young, man, and you had to walk everywhere because you didn't have your own ride and became a tax collector, like a junior tax collector, but you made just enough money, and you're like, man, I can go buy a donkey. So like you and Shrek and donkey were going around doing stuff, you know, hanging out. But then, you know, the donkey thrill wore off because, well, you've been driving that donkey a couple of years, and your neighbor's got a camel. And camels are sweet. They would have been like the equivalent of like a Jeep Rubicon, right? Like a sweet off-road, like a serious off-road vehicle. But after a while, man, it's like this, this one-humped camel ain't doing it for me. And so you're like, I got to get a two-humped camel, man, because those are more rare. It's like a, a sweet Land Rover or a Range Rover. It's even got like a safety seat in the middle for the kids. And, but, but after a while, man, the the, the, the new camel smell is worn off and you're like, hey, dude, I got to have something else. And so you went out and bought a fleet of camels. And so like Zacchaeus, I got to ask you, man, how many camels is it going to take? How much is enough, Zacchaeus? In, in other words, you can be satisfied with your money, but your money is never going to bring soul level satisfaction, Zacchaeus. And you know this, he knows this. Because something's been going on in the heart of Zacchaeus long before this encounter, to the extent that he's ran, run to where Jesus is to see him. Like, like Zacchaeus, only God can fill that void in your life, not money, not stuff. And Zacchaeus, you could find joy. You, you could find contentment. You could surrender your life and follow me. And you could be a generous guy. You could use the resources that, that God has given you that you have now uh, by, by hook or by crook. Um, you could use it to feed the hungry. You could use it to help the poor. You could use it to, to, to make people's lives better. And, 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 and so people would start to bless you rather than curse you like they do now. And so these thoughts are going through Zacchaeus's head and and it's amazing. He's never thought about this before because all of his life has been directed around one thing, more. Getting more. Acquiring. Making it happen. Climbing up a ladder. And now you, you can sense that his heart is pounding and, and, and then there's this very dramatic part of this story. And it says that Zacchaeus stood up. Now, now in this culture at a meal like this, 
the, the, guest, the, the, the host would often stand up and say nice things about the people, say something nice about the, the guest of honor and uh, nice things about the people. And so maybe people are expecting this, but instead he just locks in on Jesus. And it's like it's just him and Jesus in the room. And, and here's what he says. Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And everybody is staggered. And, and Miss Zacchaeus is going, whoa, we didn't talk about this before this meal. And the kids are like, does that mean I don't get my own donkey? Or what's, like, what's happening right now? You know? and, 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 but Zacchaeus is so captivated by, by the possibility of a new kind of life a new way of open-handedness that he's never had before with Jesus that, that he starts to recalculate everything that he has in, in light of the kingdom of God, in light of the grace that's been extended to him by Jesus. And, and he, so he says, here's what I have, but, 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 but enough is actually less than what I have. Think, think about this. Because what we just said is that for most Americans, enough is always more than we have, and enough is a moving target. But Zacchaeus has this epiphany that enough is actually less than what I have. And, and so for him, instead of it becoming um, this, this, this discontentment zone, he sees it as this generosity zone. That, that, that this flips, the whole thing flips upside down. And here and now, he says, I'm putting a stake in the ground, and, and, he, he, and he doesn't do it like internally, like he doesn't say it like in his head where a lot of people will say, you know what, after I've heard what I heard today, man, mentally, I'm, gonna, I'm making a decision. No, no, no. He goes public with it. He says it in front of everybody that's there. All these people are hearing him say, today is, I'm changing. It, which is, by the way, what baptism is. We're, we're going to celebrate baptisms. And baptism is, is about a lot of things, but chiefly it's about you saying, I'm going public. I'm declaring uh, as a believer that, that I, I have decided to follow Jesus and I want everybody to know it. And this is exactly what is happening here. Like he could have just internalized this and gotten away with it later on, but he says it. I'm giving away 50%. And here's what, here, here, and by the way, Jesus isn't calling anybody to give away 50%. This is not, this is not about a number here. It, it, but, but here's what's happening in the heart of Zacchaeus. I believe that 50% of what I have and trusting God is worth more than 100% of what I have without God. You see, the, you see the, the, the connection that he's making? He's realizing in that moment that not only does he have enough, he has more than enough. And immediately his mind goes, not I'm going to give it all to Jesus, like, like Jesus is some traveling televangelist, right? No, no, I'm going to give it to the poor. I'm going to use it to help people. I have more than enough, and I'm going to, make, I'm going to put it that more than enough to good use. Now, here's the thing about that. Most of us in America don't think we have enough, and we certainly don't think we have more than enough, right? Because like any appetite, um, the desire for more can never be satisfied. Like some of you today, you're going to go out and you're going to drink a big red and have some carne guisada, and then when you get home, if you're like me, you're going to be like, but I need some Lucky Charms now, or I need some <laughs> Fruit Loops with Marshmallow Blasts, which by the way, those are both my game, and I love that game. And like, that's what I do on Sunday afternoons. I don't care how full I am. Like I'm miserably full from whatever lunch I had. And I'm like, but I could use some lucky charms right now. 
right? Because more, like, like, like appetites are never satisfied. That's just true, right? You can go eat lunch, but tonight, guess what? You're going to want another meal. And when you wake up in the morning, you can be like, huh, I'm going to go to Bill Miller and get some tacos on my way. Because um, by the way, they're good at Bill Miller. I don't know if you know this, but pretty good. I'm just giving you some help today in the Lord and, and the blessings of God, right? <laughs> But, but just for a moment, even though knowing that Americans don't think they have enough or more than enough, could you, could you take your focus off of the discontentment zone and whatever potential possessions that you might want to have and whatever income level you're hoping for, would you consider your actual possessions and your actual income? Think of all that you have. Are, are, are you blessed? Are, are we blessed in America? Are we blessed? Yes, right? Are, are you blessed beyond what you genuinely probably could have hoped for? When you were 15 years old, like, like, and you're growing up, maybe some of you grew up in a very poor house. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you did, and you didn't have a much of an imagination. You hoped that you'd have more than your family had. Could you, could you at least admit that most of you at your age have more than your parents did at your age? Or, or, or let's take it to one more degree of difficulty for anybody to dodge, right? Could, could we at least say that in America, we have way more than, than, than most of the world's population, right? Far more. Now, question is why? Why is it that we are blessed here in this country? Why, why is it that we truly, even though we don't agree all the time, we do have more than enough? Now, why is it even important for us to ask ourselves this question? Well, because our society and its marketing keeps us focused on what we do not have. Right? That's the nature of television. That's the nature of the commercial industry, right? Is to tell us what we don't have, to keep us focused on what we don't have. And, and when we focus on what we don't have and we enter the discontentment zone, it leaves our heart vulnerable to greed and to not having a generous spirit or heart. Now, we're all on a quest to get more. And so we automatically assume that when we get more, that the more must be for who? For me, for us, for my, my people, my thing. For me to get more. Now, here's the question that I have, though. I was thinking through this. Whenever there's been a season of my life where I didn't have enough, which hasn't been very many times, but whenever I thought, man, I don't have enough money to pay the bills, or, you know, I don't know how we're going to get our kids through college. Like, I have to get braces in the next two weeks. I don't know if you guys know this, but my dentist and has conspired to make me get braces. Not because my teeth are crooked, but because my... T she made my bite sound like I was Igor, like, like the Igor of bites. She had other people looking into my mouth going, do you believe this guy's mouth? And I was like, Sarah, I'm right here. You're looking in my mouth, you know? She's like, if you don't get braces, your teeth are going to fall out. So I'm getting braces in a couple of weeks. Do you know how much these things cost, anybody? It's painful. So I'm like... Can we, can we finance that over like a 20-year period? You know, <laughs> if you have kids, you know what I'm saying, man. My kids already got one. My other daughter's got to get Me and my daughter are going to, I'm 46, y'all. And me and my 11-year-old are going to have braces together. <laughs> Whatever cool that I might have been working with is about to go out as a 46-year-old man. Not Kids, if you have braces, it's cool for you, but I'm 46, man. It's not cool for me. But anyways, I don't know. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So, so, so why, why do we have more than enough? Is it because, you know, God wants you to be able to leave your kids a vast fortune? Like, no, because like nobody's ever complained that their lives was a miserable failure because their parents, when they died, didn't leave them enough, right? Is it because God wants you, your accumulated assets to give you peace um, and help you sleep at night? No, nope, right? Because the more you have, the more 
You tend to worry about what you have. Isn't that true, right? And, and by the way, the last time I checked, peace is a fruit of the Spirit, not a byproduct of my savings. So, so there's, just, there's one other option to consider why God has provided us with more than enough, and that is because he intends for you to be a blessing. He intends for you to share your abundance with those who have need. And that's the other option. You're like, no, I reject that one, right? There's got to be a, is there a fourth option, Pastor Danny? No, no, this is the option. There's only three. And I think this is what Zacchaeus has arrived to in this moment. Mentally, he's done the math in his head. I have more than enough, way more. I'm going to take my more than enough. And, and notice, he goes immediately and says, there are people around me who are hurting, who are broken, who are poor. I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to take half of it and give it to them. And then Jesus stands up and he doesn't do this after dinner speech about how great the food was and how gracious the host was. Instead, he stands up and he, and he gives very strategic language. I don't want you to look at this verse nine. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, points at Zacchaeus, this man too, he's including him, meaning before I came here today, this man was other than, but this man too is a, look at this language, a son of Abraham. Now, what he's saying is everybody in this room has marginalized this guy because he did some bad things. He's made some bad choices. You have kicked him out of the family of God. One, one of the primary, one of the great phrases that could be said of you as an Israelite was that you were a son or a daughter of Abraham or Sarah because these are the founders of their faith. Like he's, a, he's a son of Abraham and nobody said this about Zacchaeus in a very long time. He goes right to the heart of Zacchaeus. This man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man. Now this, this last part of the verse is so critical because he's reminding the religious people who want to make church and religion all about religious people. He's reminding them that Jesus said, hey listen, for the son of man came to seek and to save who? The lost. Because all of these saved people are offended that Jesus is hanging around this guy. And Jesus goes, listen, Salvation's come here, not, not because Zacchaeus has bought his way into heaven, because nobody can buy their way. You can't earn your way. It's a free gift of grace. But, but because the, the, the disease of more that has become an obstacle between Zacchaeus and God, that it's been the thing that's held him back from becoming God, he's being healed of that disease of more. It's, becoming, it's moving out of the way. And now he and Jesus are going to do life together. And, and he's going to be saved, not because of what he's done, but because he's gotten things out of the way that were an obstacle. Like, and, and this is his way of repentance. God, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm going to turn my back on the way I've lived. I'm going to turn and walk another way. This is, this is, how, this is what grace does to people. And, and, and so he's gotten off the treadmill of more and more and more. And he's like, no, it's enough. It's enough. And in our culture, the idea of more gets reinforced at every turn. Right? But, but enough is not a level of wealth that you achieve. It's a statement of trust that you declare. This is enough. I talked to a family after our first service today. She said, you know, that was the perfect message for us because my husband decided to retire. He didn't need to retire. He was, he was, he's not old. He just decided enough's enough. And now he said, my life, he, it's what he told me. He said, my life is going to be about giving back. I'm going to spend the rest of my life, probably maybe early 50s, I'm going to spend the rest of my life serving and blessing and helping people. He said, that, that, I came to that same decision. It's enough. Some of you are like, can I, can, I, can I join him? Can I quit my job and join him? How are we going to make our living? I don't know, but we'll figure it out, right? But it's, 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 not, it's not a level of wealth. It's a statement of trust. And this is what, this is what God says in, in, in Isaiah. The prophet says, chapter 58, verse 10. And if you spend yourselves 
on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs, even if it's a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. If, if, if the, the idea is that when you decide, it's not just about me. It's not just about how much I can have. It's not just about what I can accomplish. It's about other people. It's about hurting people. It's about broken people. And, and listen, as a church, as a church, like we, like we actually wrote this into our bylaws. This is who we're going to be. We're going to be a church with an open hand that, that, that 10% of everything that comes in at a minimum is going to go back out to serve the poor, to serve our community, to serve missions, to build churches. So literally every year, this year, we'll give away $75,000 at, at a minimum. But there's coming a day, church, when, when, when everybody gets what I'm saying today, when we actually understand this, and it's not just 3% of the church or, or 5% of the church that carries the load, which is true of most churches. But when people go, I can live like this, or I can live like this, There'll come a day when this church will give away millions and millions and millions of dollars. It will happen. It will happen. And we will bless. And we will be, God will use us not to build big, famous buildings and we won't be the biggest church in town. We're not interested in that. God will pour out on us, but he will always do it through people. And we will be a blessing. We've, built, we've helped build three orphanages. Just a week and a half ago, we went down to Costa Rica. We, we brought thousands of dollars that you gave us to, to, to take down there. We brought thousands of dollars, gave that away to do projects. They, they, that church, they inherited this church from a church, a pastor that had kind of failed. And so this pastor left them saddled with debt and we helped them pay off the debt so they can keep going. You, you did that. Not, not me, you did that. We, we send tens of thousands of dollars. I, I, I don't know how much money we've sent to Haiti, but it's coming close to about a hundred grand now over the past five or six years that you've sent down there to help that guy do what he's doing down there. Amazing, amazing things. Listen, we are making a kingdom difference, but we don't do it. Like it doesn't just flow out of the ceiling. Like if it is, I'm like, I'm gonna pull all the tiles down, right? It comes through people. And, and if we become the church, and this is my challenge to you, that we become, we, we have this epiphany like Zacchaeus. It's enough. Square footage, more square footage does not equal more happiness. Right? Some of us think, can, can I tell you that my wife and I have lived in like 87 houses over the last 20 years of our life. We've lived in apartments. We've lived with people. But I would tell you that, that, that our, some of our happiest days were, were in 700 square feet apartments. Some of you know what I'm saying. You got a big old house now and that big old house has become a big old prison to you. You sweat it every month. And you think, well, it's what we do in America. When's enough enough? And, and I'm just challenging you. What if you thought about life with an open hand? And, 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 and I told you this message isn't about tithe, but I, I'm praying that some of you will take God's challenge when he said, test me. In Malachi, test me. See, it, see if I won't pour out more blessings on you than you can contain. Like, it would be my joy as a pastor. Like, some pastors are afraid to talk about tithe. I'm not, because it's about you and God and God blessing you and you getting, getting the, 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 the more monster out of your life and saying, God, I trust you. Just test him. Like, and, and if he fails you, stop doing it. Don't do it. Listen, we can live like this or we can live like this. And my challenge to you as a pastor is just my life. My wife and I will tell you 20 years now, 
And I've been, I've been, I've been open-handed with my tithe and my offerings since I was a teenager. And my life, I have so many stories of where God has come through. And I'm like, there's no other way that God could have done that. I mean, that, that, that could have happened in my life apart from God. Over and over and over and over, I have these, these stories of supernatural blessings and favor from God. And I don't mean this in like you give to get. It's not that. It's just the nature of God. You trust me, I'll bless you. You trust me with anything, I'll bless you. It's just how he is. Let's be the church with an open hand. We're going to build a building. By the way, um, we um, just built $73,000. Um, <laughs> we built a $73,000 water main for saws. They told us if you don't build us, we're not going to let you build kind of extortion, but that's a, that's a whole other thing. <clears throat> we went ahead and built that for him, and we just got that done. And um, so in the next week or so, God willing, we'll get our permits now because they've hold, held it up. Saws has for the last month. The city council approved our permits, and Saws stepped in and said, no, nope, no, nope, you're going to build this water main for us. doesn't benefit us, this water main. Of course, then they're going to charge us $40,000 to tap into the water main that we built for them. That's a whole other thing. I got a little bitterness about it, but not too much, just a little bit. What I'm saying is um, we're going to build a building, but we're not about building buildings. The building's a, a means to an end. It's a way for us to grow. It's a way for us to reach. It's a way for us to expand God's kingdom. But we're not going to be about buildings. But I dream of a day where, where we go down to Haiti or we go down to Costa Rica to serve a school or an orphanage that we built, that we didn't help build, that we built. I, I dream of a day when we send missionaries from this church to go to foreign lands and we pay their way. They don't go have to go raise money like missionaries do and have to travel the country. We're like, God's called you to Haiti or God's called you to Costa Rica. Hey, man, we're going to partner with you. We're going to send you. We're going to pay your whole way down there. I dream of that day where, where we, are, we have an impact so far beyond the local church, the local community, but we never get there unless we understand, God, we trust you with what we have, our time, our talents, our treasure. We trust you. And the most joyful people in this world are the people who understand that. I promise you. I promise you. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for this moment, this time that we have to spend together. And I just pray your blessings over every person. God, over every person, Lord, who's even thinking about this. God, I pray that maybe they'd have a conversation on the way home with their spouse to declare publicly, hey, this is what we're going to do from now on. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to trust God that we're going to do it. We're going to be generous, not just with our church, but we're going to be generous with the people around us. We're going to look for needs. We're going to try to meet them with our more than enough. That not everything that comes our way has to be just for us. We're going to trust you, God. We're going to see. We're going to test you. You, you actually encouraged us. Test me in this. We're going to test you, God, and we're going to do it joyfully and with open hands and open hearts. And God, we're going to see you move. And we're going to see you do incredible things through our church. And we're just believing you for the best, the best days ahead, God, for this church and for these folks. We pray your blessings over every one of them in the name of Jesus. Amen, everybody. God bless you. Thanks so much for being here today. Amen.